to another episode of Let's Talk Deer, brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoors, owned by Mr. John O'Brien. John's a Midwestern guy. He's around the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. He's been an agronomist uh, for over 29 years. So he knows seed, he knows soil, and he knows what white-tailed deer need. John has a large seed company, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, but also he's in educating. He's one of the best educator seminar, platform speaker, uh, communicator for soil, water, and cover. The soil brings the food, the water hydrates, and the cover keeps them safe. So that's what Whitetail needs. So any questions at all about seed, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Let's Talk Deer does receive compensation from Grandpa Ray Outdoors for mentioning him on my show. Hello, this is Bruce Hutchin with an old friend. Uh, Dan and I were talking, Dan Smith, uh, Vice President and Editor of Deer and Deer, deer, and deer Hunting. We're talking, and uh, he was one of my first guests over five years ago on Whitetail Rendezvous. Now I'm the host of uh, Let's Talk Deer. And Dan, it's welcome to have you back. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, and, and folks, we're going to talk about Wisconsin floated a survey, and we're going to talk about that. But just as we learned in our 30-minute segment or so on Facebook Live, we kind of went down some other trails, and, and that's okay because there's a lot of things facing us. And one of the things we want to share today and get out is the importance of the interconnection between wildlife and actually our health because wildlife habitat – Whitetails have good habitats, then all the surrounding critters, yes, a butterfly, yes, a caterpillar, yes, a skunk, yes, grouse, yes, everything else that's in that habitat, if if it's thriving, everybody benefits. Well, guess what? It's the same thing in our world. So, Dan, let's talk about the Wisconsin uh, survey and bring people up to speed and your thoughts. Well, Bruce, that's a lot right there. We probably talked for a couple of days on, but in Wisconsin, um, which is the case in a lot of states in North America here, that we still have deer overabundance. Now, is it the same as it was 20 years ago? I'm going to argue no, it's not. But what's happened is what we know with deer is the whitetail is the most adaptable critter that we know of, basically. The deer species has been around for the whitetail species has been around for 20,000 years. They've learned to adapt. They've learned to thrive in environments that are probably not even ideal. So here in Wisconsin, we have ideal habitat, or did, and um, it's been decades of deer overabundance. With with that overabundance, what we've seen is a degradation of forest um, understory, especially. Now, it's not 100% due to the whitetail, but it's a large percentage due to the whitetail and the fact that you have forests now, and it's the way they manage them, but forests with no understory, and when that understory is coming back, it's invasive species. That's overabundance of browsing, 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 browsing. Preferred species are gone. Is the average person going to see it? No. You're going to, the average person is going to walk through the woods and say this woods looks perfectly fine to me. There's all sorts of brush around, but when you look at that brush, you see Japanese barberry, you see bush honeysuckle, you see buckthorn, you see all this stuff that's not supposed to be there. Would it still be there if deer were not around? Yes, probably. However, for us as deer hunters and deer enthusiasts, we like to see lots of deer. Um, as we know through scientific research, 
those populations need to be held at a level. And that's something that the state has been mandated to do for their jobs for decades, and they have not been allowed to do it because they can't force you to shoot the deer. So, you know, we talk about all things being equal. You know, a healthy deer landscape should be approximately, now I'm just going to throw this out there as an approximate, in very good habitat. Now I'm going to preface it even more. When I say that everybody thinks that their land is the best, it doesn't matter. Now I'm talking Wisconsin. I don't care if you're over by Green Bay or if you're down by West Bend or if you're in Beloit or if you're in La Crosse or if you're in Ashland, everybody thinks where they hunt is special, which it is, it's special for hunting, but the habitats are completely different. Now, if you get into the central farmland where I live, you know, we really should only have 30 deer per square mile here. It's been upwards of 100 and more in, in many years. So what happens when you have a deer population that's three times what it should be? It's exactly what you get is you get over browsing, it degrades the habitat for other species, and that's now when I talk about that, it's not just food production of that habitat. The biggest thing, which is a very complicated matter, it's fawning habitat for white-tailed does. So if you don't have good fawning cover, if you don't have good overwinter cover, especially in um, the northern areas where deer previously would have, I don't know if you just lost me or not. No, Dan, I um, just uh, muted. You're breaking up again. Mute your video. Just go ahead and mute the video. Mute. Okay, try that. No, you you muted the microphone. Okay, um, I can't see. What am I supposed to hit here, Bruce? Just the the camera, the icon that looks like a camera to the right, to the left of the microphone. Okay, I'll try that. Got it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Let's see if that works because you're you're starting to fade out. Okay. Do you so want me good. to start all over again or? No, just keep, just continue on. That's okay. Okay. So what, when I'm talking about habitat, it's not just about food production. It's also about uh, fawning cover. It's about overwinter cover. And these things are very complicated because not only with trying to manage that cover, what we've had over the past decades, several decades, is you've got, you know, human development. So you have other things going on. But so what do we need to do? For us as hunters, we basically need to listen to our trained biologists and do what they tell us to do. And everybody doesn't work together, it's not going to happen. And that's what we've seen. So if you're, if now what I'm saying is if you get, if you own 40 acres and you have three guys hunting it and you get six free doe tags between the three of you, my God, no, you cannot go out and kill six does and expect to see deer next year. Everybody needs to do their part. So that's a, it's a team effort. In the fact that if we keep the deer population down, it's going to help the habitat. If we have healthy habitat, it's going to it's going to allow for the flourishing of other animal species, which builds what we call the ecosystem, and that's going to make a healthy ecosystem. What's going to make better hunting in the long run for all of us. And it's really it's not an easy thing that to understand. It's you can't put your finger on one thing and say this is the magic thing that's going to fix everything because I shot X amount of deer. It's all these things combined. So what I would suggest and what Bruce, you have mentioned is educate yourself. It's no different than watching the news today with coronavirus. It's like when you'll see that story, was it from a reputable source? Same thing with this stuff. Educate yourself as to how the 
systems work. And I know a lot of people don't even need to do that because they are already up on it. But at the same time, have an open mind and don't have too many gut reactions to when you have some of these ideas get floated out like a 19 day gun season that might just drive you through the roof saying, oh, my gosh, you're going to kill every deer. No, there's probably a reason for that. But now, should you believe every thing you see out there? No, there's other things out there that are being driven by special interest groups. So it is a very um, dicey waters, I guess, uh, to navigate into to finding out which ones are actually beneficial and which ones are actually being driven by special interest groups. Let's stay right there on special interest groups because I am uh, I'm disabled. I have uh, throughout the United States I have permits, lifelong permits, uh, to shoot a crossbow during archery season, even in states that don't allow crossbow hunting during archery seasons. And I read in the survey, Wisconsin survey, that there was some chatter uh, about uh, changing, eliminating, um, having an uh, crossbow only season and and so forth so I, I want your input on that because this is part of my education process of hey is somebody you know just raising a red, red hang, herring on this and saying hey you know we don't want this or is the DNR saying hey you know we're going to change it because we have data that supports yeah that that one right there specifically here in Wisconsin is being driven by a special interest group of bow hunters of of uh, compound bow hunters. You know, I, I don't I don't I don't like to call them traditional bow hunters because they're not. I mean, there might be some tradition a traditional bow hunters guy who's using a recurve. Um, guys who uh, I suppose we say vertical bows. Guys who are shooting vertical bows are pushing that idea of let's get the crossbow hunters out of the month of September. Let's get them out of the rut and basically pigeonhole those guys to hunting in October. Uh, for the most part, and then being able to hunt during gun season with the crossbow if they want to, and maybe some of those later seasons in December. Um, this is not by the DNR. There is no data that supports keeping crossbow hunters out of the regular archery season, and I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody who wants to sit there and cherry-pick any information they want. I'll cherry-pick my own information, and we can have a, a fun old time with that. But uh, if you look at Wisconsin's, uh, when I say archery harvest, and that's all things, that's crossbows, that's compound bows and that's recurves. And I have never shot a deer with a recurve. I've shot more than a, almost 200 of them with a compound. I've shot a lot of them with a crossbow already. Um, it's, it's, I'm talking about all bow hunters. But uh, to keep them out of September is, uh, in my opinion, is not warranted. I'm going to call it a crime because it's <laughs> the the people who are starting to take up crossbow hunters uh, and crossbow hunting are the hunters that we need. They're people who there's it's a cross section everywhere. It's new hunters, it's young hunters, it's it, it's women, it's children, it's uh, adult onset hunters. I know a lot of guys who are 30 years old who have never deer hunted before, lived in Los Angeles, come out here and saying. Yeah, I would love to like to live this living ready lifestyle that we call it, like get my own food, know where my food comes from. I want to take up hunting. I would like to go bow hunting, but you know what? I'm not that proficient with a compound bow. You know what? I'm going to teach you how to use a cr crossbow and you get to go this year. You don't have to wait anymore because if you wait, you might lose them. And we find that with kids. And that's why they've lowered the, the hunting ages 
across the board, especially here in Wisconsin. We've seen it. We, it was raised, it was lowered to 10. So now it's where it's like, you know, if you if your kid is showing um, interest in hunting, they can go hunting and I can take them out now in September with a crossbow and teach them and they can have fun and enjoy it. Uh, my personal best memory of the crossbow is my own dad. Now he got a permit because of a handicap. Uh, he, he deer hunted his whole life as a gun hunter. Um, in 1999, he was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. He had his entire system taken away. He had a, a colostomy bag since then. And he said, I never got to bull hunt in my life. And he never thought he was going to. Well, the very next fall, uh, that summer, we got him a crossbow. He got the, the, that then you had to have a doctor's permit. And he's enjoyed September bull hunting. He just turned 85 here a couple weeks ago. And I've never seen him have so much fun. Now, some people will say, yeah, well, that's, a, that's an exception because I don't think it should be an exception. I think if somebody is showing that interest, that is a benefit to the hunting community. And also, there is no data to support that it is doing anything to the population dynamics of our whitetail herd. We've seen it. You, you mentioned it before. Uh, I think you said it was, is it St. Croix County? I can't remember the name of the county. Yeah, St. Croix County. St. Croix only. County. Their, their advisory committee is basically proposing an antlerless only season for all hunters this year because they have too many deer. So that's a, a case right there. It's like, why in the world would I sit there and say, well, you can't hunt with a crossbow now? I mean, it, 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 it makes no sense. Um, crossbows belong in the archery season. They're not doing anything. Uh, and short answer to your question is that is 100% driven by special interest, not by the state. The state's job is to manage a deer herd. Yeah, they try to balance it, but... Uh, there's other things that they're that they're trying to do that they should be able to do to help uh, manage the deer herd. My two cents is, folks, if you're listening to this, stop it because we're all in this together. We need to recruit, retrain, retain, and reactivate hunters because we're losing hunters. And the more on social media, and the more people you know get up in arms and especially in this situation, the more you fracture and uh, deter people. You know, it's okay around the campsite to have the Ford and Chevy or the 30-06 versus the 30-30 discussion because that's part of it. But when you come out and rally the troops and say, no, we don't want that, well, I'm going to go right to my new podcast, Ask the People podcast, and that's the Bill of Rights. I have a right to pursue those things I want to pursue as long as they're lawful and legal. That's my right as a citizen in the United States. So given that, what, who gives you the right to say, no, I don't want you hunting with a crossbow when there's no qualifiable quantitative evidence that says it's detriment to the Wisconsin deer herd, period. 100% agree with you, Bruce. And uh, one thing I'm going to add that you said there, which a lot of people miss. You said recruit, retain, and educate, I believe. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's, it's vital to the, the future uh, generations of deer hunters. But I'm gonna argue that one of the most important things for the here and now and for the next 
you know, when you say, tell me your, your, your five-year plan or your 10-year plan, my five-year plan is to retain as many hunters as possible. And if you look at the, the statistics and the data that we have, not only in Wisconsin, but in the United States, uh, this is how it used to go. It, when you were talking about the 1970s and 80s and 90s, it was a very predictable curve for hunters. And basically they would come in at, you know, 10, 12 years old, that, that curve's gonna go up and you're gonna have a nice uh, leveling of the, the chart at ages, you know, 20 to 40. And then you would see a slowly gradual decline as to when people got out of hunting. Today, what you're seeing is the retention of hunters is dramatically spiked for hunters 50 years old and older. And what's happened there is some of these things like more generous seasons, um, not only bag limits, but you can use a crossbow now, you can use an inline muzzleloader now. It's allowed a lot of guys that are 50 years old and older to hang on. I use my dad as an example, he's 85 years old and he shot a deer with his crossbow every single year for the past 20 years. That wouldn't have happened had he not been able to use a crossbow. So when you take those guys out of the mix, there is on the back end of it today in 2020, when you look at the numbers, the sheer numbers of hunters in those younger age brackets, they're not there. If there's hunters there, but they're not to the level that they were, that we grew up with and we know. So what's gonna be, there's gonna be a day of reckoning here in the next 20 years where we're gonna see dramatic decrease in hunters no matter what we do, because the, the people that are coming into the sport are not enough to, to replace or replenish those that are gonna be leaving the sport here in the next 20 years. So that's an important thing. Retention is key, is every bit as key as recruitment, in my opinion. And a good friend, Meadow Caulfield in Minnesota, she's uh, the chair of the 3R um, committee for the state of Minnesota, and she speaks to it, um, to women, and women are the fastest growing uh, demographic in the outdoor industry for a, a lot of reasons. Outdoor industry includes hiking, biking, canoeing, fly fishing, fishing, hunting, but women in the outdoors. And she has told me time and time again, it says we're just not making it easy for people to understand why we hunt. And that comes to the point in adult onset hunters, and we're going to see um, an increase of that because people are going to say, I'm hungry, I can't pay my bills, and squirrel season, rabbit season, uh, deer season, whatever season, I believe this fall we're going to see a huge increase in license sales because people are going to be behind on the bills no matter what happens in the next month or so. You know, we're, we're going to be back on our heels and people who live where they have access to public lands or private lands are going to say, I'm going to go out and get some protein. What's the best way to do that? Well, the quietest way, right in suburbia and kill the deer in the backyard is with a bow. Legal or not, you can you can wrestle with that. But there's going to be a lot of people, in my opinion, that are going to become these adult onset hunters for one purpose only, and that's field to prey, plate. Absolutely. And that is a huge, uh, huge uh, a movement now. And it's not just hunting, it's everything. You, you know, 
my wife and I, we basically, we, we do everything. We can our own vegetables. We, we cook everything that we eat here. And that is a, uh, it's a very satisfying thing for us. It's because we've done it. I've done it my whole life. I helped, she's gardened her whole life, but she caught onto the venison thing after she met me. But in America, <laughs> in America, not only to preach the, you know, healthy uh, venison that you're procuring yourself, not only venison, but everything, rabbits, squirrels, fish, whatever, it that lifestyle is what is going to help hunting in the long run. And um, and that's where we're seeing a lot of, that's these people who are taking up hunting now, they don't care about antlers. They don't care about, you know, uh, plant and food plots. And we have fun doing that. What they're looking at is like, well, I can go out and shoot a deer and get, you know, 80 pounds of pure venison. Yeah, tell me how to do that for, you know, a resident tag of 20 bucks or whatever it happens to be. Um, it's helping us and it's helping, it's a, it's a public service. It's a public service that you're helping, you're helping reduce deer populations. It's, 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 uh, it's win-win all the way across the board. Thanks for that. I, I appreciate that. And when we're on Facebook live, we, we started talking and thinking about how the stump sitters became a goal in your life. And I'm going back to an interview five years ago, folks. And I mentioned this on Facebook live to Dan, and I wanted to, I wanted to bring that out sort of some positivity in this um, podcast to show you how one man at a young age became the vice president and editor of deer and deer hunting. Take it away, Dan. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I think I tell this story so many times that people probably get sick of it. But so if you've heard it, tune me out for the next minute. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this started for me in 1981, uh, and it wasn't super conscious effort uh, because I did not remember it for several years after that. But in 1981, I was in eighth grade, and I was about to graduate from eighth grade, and that's what they did back then because I went to a parochial uh, grade school. It was called St. Hubert's uh Elementary, which is in Hubertus, Wisconsin, which is down by Menominee Falls, Germantown, just outside of Milwaukee. Uh, it's no longer a school. It's now called St. Gabriel's. They built a new big church later. But um, in April of that year, our teacher asked us to write a theme paper as to what we wanted to do when we grow up. Grew up, and mine was I wanted to become the editor of Deer and Deer Hunting magazine. And in 1981, as you know, Deer and Deer Hunting was only four years old, but it was it was started just. Um, uh, just up the road, a hundred miles from our house, up by Appleton, Wisconsin, by the stump sitters. And even then, I was 13 years old, I, I guess. I don't know, 14 years old. And um, <clears throat> I really respected what those guys were doing because we couldn't get enough of it. They were teaching us stuff about whitetails that we had never known about. Well, uh, I worked construction with my dad. And I, that wasn't for me. I, I, there's no knock on it. It's just that it's not what I wanted to do grow, uh, for a living. So I figured out a way to go to college. I went to the only, well, at that time, there were two accredited journalism programs in Wisconsin, uh, Madison and UW Osh, uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh. I went to Oshkosh, got my journalism degree there, worked in newspapers for four years and covered everything. I covered murder scenes. I covered robberies. I covered 
uh, sanitary district meetings, school board meetings, uh, high school football games. I learned how I learned the trade in a very fast fashion. And then I tried and applied three times for the associate editor, which is the low man on the totem pole job at deer and deer hunting. I was beaten out all three times. I went back to work. I started an outdoor column in southeastern Wisconsin. It ran in 14 daily. I'm not sorry, not daily, 14 weekly newspapers. It was called Peace of Mind, oh, P-E-A-C-E, -E, Peace of Mind, and it was an outdoor column I wrote. I won a Wisconsin Newspaper Association Award for that. I learned that I really needed to buckle down and uh, and really put my nose to the grindstone. Uh, finally, I took a job at Krause Publications. It was with Blade Magazine, Knife Collecting Magazine, just to get my foot in the door because they had just acquired this magazine called, oh, guess what, Deer and Deer Hunting. And within five months, I became the associate editor finally and worked my way up. I was associate editor, associate editor, managing editor, became editor-in-chief in 2001. And we went through two corporate uh, takeovers or, you know, it was Krause Publications and F&W Publications. And then finally, F&W uh, was a big New York conglomeration, based conglomeration. Yeah, uh, just very many, many, many publications. I couldn't even name them all. Many, many different communities. And uh, deer and deer hunting was always viable, but it was a very small part of that portfolio. And when F and W um, filed Chapter 11 here, uh, it was you know it, it all it all came to fruition last year. Came to a head last year. Uh, Brad Rocks, who has actually worked at deer and deer hunting longer than I have, he's been the ad manager and then publisher of for many, many years. Brad started uh, about two years before I did at Deer and Deer Hunting. Brad and I, we've worked together for such a long time. We have a great relationship. Um, he's really, he knows the advertising end of things, marketing and uh, management of the business very well. And Steve Bartilla, who has been a longtime contributor for us, Steve, um, he also does our, he works on our TV shows. He has his own videos. I'm sure you've seen him grow them big and hunt them big. Extremely popular videos on social media and YouTube. Uh, the three of us said, let's put our forces together and figure this out. Uh, we secured uh, a couple of silent partners and um, and got it. And uh, now we that was last July. It actually, it was July 15th of last year and 2019. And then as of right now, uh, we are sitting in a better position than we've been in a long time. Uh, traffic on all of our digital properties is through the roof. Our website is going crazy, deerandeerhunting.com. Magazine circulation is up, uh, and our three television shows are thriving. Uh, those are our all-on pursuit channel. So we have Deer and Deer Hunting TV, Land of Whitetail TV, and we used to have Destination Whitetail TV, but now we've replaced that show this year with a show called Deer Tech which if anybody has watched that show called How It's Made, that's gonna be the how it's made of the hunting industry. Basically show you all the, what goes into products and, uh, and what makes them cool and how they're using uh, innovation and technology these days uh, to make hunting more enjoyable. So in a nutshell, that's it. That's, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like I just fell into this. I didn't, I worked really hard. I worked many, many jobs in my life uh, and some not so glamorous ones to get through college. And um, I always tell, especially students, there's nothing you can't do. And just because you get turned down once, you basically pick yourself up. I had to pick myself up three times. And, I, and that, was, that was just to get my foot in the door. And then I had to pick myself up 
many times over the past 25 years to stay in this position because life just doesn't, there isn't a conclusion. You know, there's not like, well, I've made it. Now I can sit down and no, I'm, as we're talking right now, I'm working on the next issue of magazine, which is the summer issue of magazine. I don't just get to sit back and tell people what to do. You, uh, you get anything out of life, what you put into it. And if there's anything, a take home message there, that's what I would, I would say. How can people, uh, listeners subscribe to deer and her deer and deer hunting? Uh, thank you. You just go to deerandeerhunting.com, spell it out, deerandeerhunting.com. You can get the magazine, you can get a print uh, mailed to you, you can get a digital. Uh, there's many different uh, options there. And the other thing I'd like to mention is uh, our company, which is called Media360. We're based out of uh, Media360 LLC, based out of Wapaka, Wisconsin. We also publish Turkey and Turkey Hunting Magazine, which is an annual we do Trapper and Predator Caller magazine, which is a subscription magazine. Uh, we have an ice fishing title. Uh, we have a lot of different things. So there's, if you go to deerandeerhunting.com, there's uh, links there where you can find uh, if you're a trapper or if you like to ice fish or if you like to turkey hunt. There's some other things there that I think you would enjoy. This is Bruce Hutchin with a special message about my relationship with Burner.com. Burner HD is a non-lethal pistol that's available now on the web at Burner.com. If you go to the web and use my promo code LTD2020, you're going to get a 10% discount on all Burner products. So again, Let's Talk Deer has a discount promo code LTD2020 for all Burner products. Go check them out. They're great. Let's get back to the Wisconsin survey. And one thing um, I saw, I'm going a 19-day season. Um, I don't know if I'm really excited about that because will that go into the rut? Am I hunting bucks with my with my crossbow or my rifle? You know, how's that all going to work and what's the impact? Yeah, 19-day season, that's interesting you bring that up, Bruce. Um, something about that, the, the history there is that idea is more than 30 years old. And uh, they tried to implement that way back in the early 90s, basically based off of the fact that uh, the biologists then, they saw this coming. They, 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 they knew we were gonna be sitting where we are today with deer management. And the fact that the gun season for almost every state is the big hammer for deer management, meaning that they use gun season to do most of the work as far as population control. Um, and a 19-day prolonged season, the idea there is to spread out the pressure, hence make the deer not as nocturnal, and hopefully lead to slightly better harvest success ratios across the board. Now, is can you look to specific ones and say, oh, did, it, if you take it, it's like across an entire state, the percentage is, the thought thinking processing there is gonna be higher. And it's actually gonna to lead to less conflicts in the woods and things like that. That was the idea 30 years ago. Um, you see, We've seen this implemented successfully in many other states. The Southern states, especially, you look at their gun seasons, they're long prolonged seasons. Um, in Texas used to be basically deer season and that's something that i would i'm a big proponent of is that i would like to see it's not going to happen it'd be me just talking 
if if I could just wave, wave a magic wand and say what would be the best cure, I would say in Wisconsin in particular, I would like to see them say deer season is, let's just pick some dates, September 17th through December 31st or January 31st or whatever it happens to be, and you can use whatever you want. And you, But basically, here's the deal. You get two buck tags. You get X amount of doe tags. Now you can you can fine tune that if you wanted. You could say you can get two buck tags, but you can only kill one with a gun if you want. I don't think that's necessary. I think that if you did that, if you made a g- generic season, it's going to extend the. It's going to lessen the pressure th- across the board because the the stress factor on the hunter is gone. I mean, maybe for the first couple of years, guys are going to think, "Oh, I got to get out there September 17th." That's the whole thinking here with the 19-day gun season. Right now, okay, we start that Saturday before Thanksgiving. And the pressure on people right now is if I'm not there Saturday and Sunday, especially in the central farmland uh, and even up north, if I'm not there Saturday and Sunday, I can just forget about shooting a buck because I'm not going to see one. That's how it used to be really bad, like in the 90s and early 2000s. Today, I actually see pockets where it's not that bad as far as the, the pressure goes. But if you extend that season to 19 days, it's going to allow guys to say, you know what, there's no rush to get out there. I can go out, you know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I can go out the December 1st. I can go out whenever I want. And that's going to eliminate some of these other things like, you know, special muzzleloader season. And if I could just expand on that, that's why you the failure to get people to adopt a longer gun season 30 years ago led to what we see today with, okay, I have a three-day, I mean, some of the things, if you've hunted the last 25 years, there was a three-day October antler was hunt. There was a, a special youth season. There was a special, you know, week-long muzzleloader season. There was a special holiday hunt. They added all these things in there after the fact because they needed our the people that we're paying, our employees, by the way, our biologists who report to us, the taxpayers, their job is to manage the deer herd. And they're like, listen, dude, if you want me to manage your deer herd, you got to give me some tools here. I need some arrows in my quiver to do it. And those were creative ways to get around it, to basically provide more opportunity to hunters to go out there and harvest deer. Um, I've heard all the arguments. I heard people saying, well, I can't hunt 19 days. I don't. I don't know about you, but I don't get 19 days off to go gun hunting. Nobody's telling you you have to hunt 19 days. Uh, if you take the jealousy factor out of that comment, like, oh, I can't do it, therefore nobody else should do it. Basically, what we see is, you know, I think that's where a lot of it is rooted. Is is I don't know how to put my finger on it otherwise. It's jealousy. And the fact that people think like, oh, my neighbor's going to kill all the deer before I do or they're going to kill more than their fair share. I don't, it's not going to happen because we've seen it happen with what we were talking about for the bow season with crossbow hunters. A lot of jealousy there, jealousy among vertical bow hunters thinking that these crossbow hunters are killing those bucks before they get a chance at them. Well, maybe in a couple of individual cases that might happen, but I don't know. I grew up as a, as a Catholic Christian and if my neighbor kills a buck, I'm going to be happy for him. But uh, the, the biggest thing for me is, from a deer management perspective, is that we have to give our managers tools to do their job. And if we don't do that, we can't expect uh, any other result. Uh, if we're saying, oh, well, we got to reduce 
deer population. You can't sit there and point a gun at somebody's head and say, you have to kill deer. You basically, that's why you see X amount of doe tags that are given out. And that's another thing that's um, misunderstood is if you look at that and you say, my gosh, they're giving out 5,000 doe tags for Wapaka County. Well, because we know through historical research and data that if you give out 5,000 tags, you're probably going to kill 2,500 or, you know, whatever, whatever that, whatever the breakdown is. And that's why you see, or, you know, let's, let's say it with bear hunting. They give out 60,000 tags or how many tags, 30,000 tags or how many tags they give out. And the harvest is only the same thing with turkey hunting. Right now, there's 8,000 tags left over for six periods. You can go out and buy as you can buy a tag a day until your ears bleed, and you could have thirty t turkey tags for six period. But guess what? You're not going to kill thirty turkeys because you're just not going to get that opportunity. Same thing with deer. Um, Long-winded way of saying uh, that longer gun season might come as a shock, but if you sit down and you actually research the history behind why it's there, the reason why it's there is for extra opportunity. Uh, for hunters across the state. I mean, and that's from Beloit up to Bayfield. It's it's gonna take in the entire state and is it gonna result in a lot more deer being killed? No, not a lot. It's gonna result in some, hopefully, and that's the whole point is if you spread that across 72 counties that we have in here in Wisconsin, it's gonna help them accomplish and do the job that they're being paid to do. One question I'll just throw out. I hunt up by Birchwood and I think it's Sawyer County, I could be wrong. And that farm got hit really hard by wolves and bears. And so it's a 500 acre farm, the person food plots and had, you know, the consultant habitat managers come in and and we had pictures of one 180 deer in the, I'm gonna say he's been up there 10 years. And then all of a sudden the deer went away because of predation that's the only thing we could say and it's starting to come back so what do you say to the people say well you know up north we've really you know reduce everything down because the deer aren't there the deer just physically aren't there as opposed to salt county where i hunt juno county my buddy saw a hundred doe in the neighbor's field um sunday night we got plenty of deer down there so how do we balance that all that out that's an excellent question and that's one I, I near and dear to my heart because i grew up hunting bayfield ashwin price counties in that north fo northern forest and we're talking about schwamigan national forest we're talking about nikolai national forest and in those types of environments night and day difference between what you're talking about there night day difference between where i grew up hunting and then down here in wapaka county which is the cusp of the farmland where it, it starts getting out of uh, the north woods in the central farmland up there their their challenges are much more difficult um anybody who says wolves are not a problem is sadly mistaken wolves are a problem and that is not on the state the state wants to manage the wolves but the feds are the ones that have been preventing that from happening and that goes back to the same judge in madison who gave us all the trouble with the walleye uh, situation back in the 1980s is the same problem that we're having today with wolves. Our deal with the feds was 
a handful. Now, I, I'm totally drawing a blank. It's in one of my blogs that I just wrote. I believe it was 250, it might have been 350 wolves. That was our population, what it was supposed to be. Right now, the population, as everybody knows, is 10 times that. We have too many wolves up there. It's not on the state. It's on the feds. The state wants to manage that wolf population. The feds won't let it happen. And up there in those counties in particular in the northern forest, I would strongly recommend against I mean, very limited doe hunting. I know that's a hard pill to swallow for guys that like to eat venison, but it really depends upon where you hunt. Um, some cases that, that they can handle it. I know that there are some areas of the northern range where populations have rebounded, but they've had some bad winters in there that have affected things as well. And when you're talking about, it's apples and oranges, because when you're talking about deer densities up there, what's acceptable for the habitat is probably half of what's acceptable for the habitat here to give you an example there now back in the late 1980s early 1990s the goal density goals up there i know in uh bayfield county where i hunted the, the density goals were 15 deer per square mile that was gold that was 15 deer for every 640 acres of habitat and they never met they, they didn't get to goal some years they were they had some peaks because they had some mild winters and other years they were down in the single digits. Until you've hunted a, an area with single digit deer densities, you really don't appreciate it. I know a lot of guys have grown up in these years of abundance and these years of abundance have been the past 30 years. And now we're seeing uh, crashes. Now the, the other part of that problem is in some areas where that habitat has been so eroded through overbrowsing or or poor or no forest management and that there's many different variables that come into there whether it's state whether it's federal whether it's private land how is it being managed um what you have is you have boom and bust situations and what i mean by that is you can't return to boom because the habitat can't support it and not just from a food standpoint but from the two other uh equally important standpoints of fawning cover which is extraordinarily important and overwinter range, which is even more important. Up north, overwinter range that's in poor condition simply can't get the deer through the winter to the points where they should be. So uh, what needs to be done is there are different uh, method methodologies that are being used there, but for the most part, uh, the managers are basically looking at it and saying, okay, well, here's our harvest recommendations for these areas. And you're gonna just see, you know, on the surface, you're gonna see fewer doe hunting opportunities. And in some cases, they I don't think they've done it yet. I didn't get a chance to go look through that whole report. I don't, you can correct me here, Bruce, but I don't think there is a county or there might be a couple that are only recommending buck hunting this year. There might be two or three. I, I'm not sure I didn't get that far into the details. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, that's basically in a nutshell. It's just, uh, they can't, the margin of error isn't as great up there with with um, population uh, uh, recommendations. With the knowledge that you have, what do you think the future right now of hunting is, not only in Wisconsin, but of all the United States, if not North America? 
Oh man, that's a loaded question and a good one at it the same is. time. <laughs> um, the future is good. Um, we are we are facing some real uh, challenges. Chronic wasting disease is obviously is something that's not going to go away. It's gonna it's gonna plague us. Whether that turns into something more, I don't know. I don't think. Because of the white tail in our lifetime, I don't think you're going to see mass die-offs of deer from chronic wasting disease in most areas simply because the white tail is so prolific. And you can see that in the studies that are coming out of down west of Madison right now, um, where where CWD has really taken a foothold. The populations are still there, um, basically because the white tail is so prolific. Um, and in Wyoming, uh, it's it's got a foothold there. Now you could see, I think, some negative future effects in some of those western states where the whitetails are living in segregated, you know, almost segregated conditions, like you see in Wyoming and Montana and Colorado and places like that. But the future of hunting in general, I think, is good. I think to a point that you've made many times. And we've been preaching this for uh, as long as I've been at deer and deer hunting, is that the emphasis, not just for us as hunters, but for us to portray to non-hunters, which is the majority in this country, is that as hunters, we need to portray the lifestyle. And what I mean by the lifestyle is that healthy meat acquisition lifestyle. Does that mean you have to be a 100% meat hunter? No, but I, I would suggest to people that um shun the 100 percent trophy hunting focus if you like to manage big bucks more power to you i love to see them i love to read about them i love to feature them in the magazine but the the lifestyle of acquiring 100 percent pure protein sustenance from your deer and then managing your land if you're lucky enough to have uh, private land i'm not i own five acres i hunt on other people's properties that give me permission but to manage that better than what you found it. So are you managing, are you helping manage the forest? Are you helping manage for other things, for other wildlife? Because when you manage for the wildlife as a whole, kind of like our media name, Media 360, think about it as, you know, wildlife management 360. You're managing for everything. I don't think that we're gonna see, I don't think there's any gloom or doom in our future that way. We're gonna have challenges, we're gonna see chronic wasting disease we're going to see uh, uh, outbreaks of blue tongue and things like that in some of these places where they're experiencing you know weather conditions like they've never had before and deer are dying by mass die-offs but i think that there are enough of us out there um total outdoors enthusiasts that were you know you see it with other species look at ducks unlimited you know look at uh, the wild turkey federation there's some of these groups that have helped those species flourish. And how do they, Ducks Unlimited, how are they doing it? They're doing it 100% through habitat restoration, you know? Um, and I think you use those same, those same principles in deer hunting and uh, it's gonna be in fine shape. It's different than what we grew up. Uh, we grew up, I specifically grew up just outside of Germantown, Wisconsin which was all dairy farms back then. Well, dairy farms in Wisconsin are going by, when I was a kid, there was 60,000 of them. Today, there's less than 10,000. I think there's 
six or seven or eight thousand dairy farms left in Wisconsin. So the, the the landscape is different. How I hunt now compared to how I hunted when I was a kid is different. When I was a kid, I could go out the door and walk through wherever I wanted. Nobody ever said anything. Can't do that today. So that's changed. There's always change with everything that we do in life, but I don't think that will change. I think that our wildlife populations, especially our deer herds, I think are going to be fine and in good shape for many, many decades to come. One thing you mentioned there, and I remember Brenda Valentine was one of my first guests on the show, and she said, Bruce, just remember that on all your hunts, it's your hunt and have fun. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big my buck is, how small my buck is. And uh, I was in Iowa and hunting with some great guys, had a great hunt. Everybody got a nice buck, mature buck. They were all 125 or better. And the largest buck was 196. And mine was, well, you could have seen it over my shoulder. It's one like 32. But the point is, there's a segment of the hunting community that it's all, all about the inches. How big is your buck? And you see this, and I hate it on social media. How come you shot that little buck? How come you shot that spike? How come, how come? And it's like, stop. One, I wanted to shoot the buck. It was close to where I could get my truck or my ATV to it. It was just a perfect situation. The sun was setting on it, looked gorgeous, so I shot it. That's how I shot my Iowa buck. It wasn't the biggest buck on the farm. I knew that, but he had a 10-point frame. was perfect eight inch um brow tines and the sun was hitting him and i said bang it was my first muzzleloader you know buck and i shot him and i was happy everybody is kind of looking at me when i get back to camp i said oh man i couldn't be happy with that and i'll i've got that buck in my office that's the only buck i have in my office and it's my hunt and i'll be happy because he's a perfect buck and in four or five years three years he would have been a boone and crockett buck yeah. But it doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. Absolutely doesn't matter. And I've been preaching that for years now, uh, just as like you have. Uh, to me, I've seen, uh, well, you see it a lot on social media to the point where you, you, I don't know if you get numb to it or if you just, you stop replying to the haters. But I've just tried to, I've tried to tune out the negativity uh, and just try to, in my position, to have promote all deer hunting and i don't care if you're 12 years old i don't care if you're 50 years old or if you're 80 years old if you're a man if you're a woman whatever uh, whether you've shot your first deer or whether you've shot your 200th deer um, it's to me it's an individual private experience and uh probably where we run into trouble is when we post our stuff on social media because we get so excited and it's not just here it's everything else it's everything in life i mean you you post your kid's birthday anything somebody is going to be there's going to be somebody there who wants to just sit there and rain on your parade or they're unhappy in their life so what apparently the subconscious thing is if they make somebody else unhappy with a snide nasty comment that's somehow going to make them feel better prop themselves up um what i would just tell anybody listening to this is ignore it um and the other thing is is hunt for yourself do not hunt for do not hunt for anybody else when you start trying to hunt to please other people even if it's just in their minds i see this with social media kids 
and I say that I say that term kiddingly. Uh, if you're 25, in my eyes, you're a kid. Um, is everybody is so desperate for being accepted these days that they have depression, that they have anxiety, that they have self-doubt, and that um, we do it. That's dopamine's a powerful thing. You put up a photo, and you want people to like that photo. You want people to say, "Hey, good job on that buck." You don't want some idiot coming on there saying, "Oh, why'd you shoot that two-year-old?" I, I would like to reach through the screen and punch the guy in the face. And I'd say that metaphorically, but um, say congratulations. Be a, be a good Christian about this. Um, you don't know what that person's been through. You don't know if that person's battling cancer, or if their father's battling cancer, or if they had a bad day or what. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. And if it's a spike or a fork or whatever, don't say something stupid like, oh, yeah, well, that's a good first buck. No, it's a good 300th buck. They shot a buck. They were excited about it. The other thing I see, and to get on my soapbox here, Bruce, is I see people say, well, you know, the only reason I say that is they start saying, well, it's not the biggest buck in the world, but I shot him anyways. The reason why they say that is because they're afraid of not being accepted. Is they're afraid of if they can somehow couch it to lessen the blow that somebody's going to give them that and and i would i would plead and urge people not to do that shoot it own it and be happy and no apologies needed none whatsoever own the happiness and whoever's viewing that if you don't like it don't 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 like it don't click on it and but just don't say anything nasty i think what we need to do is we need more positive people and we need more positive experiences well said dan and with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Let's Talk Deer, hosted by Bruce Hutchin. And today's our guest has been uh, Dan Smith, who uh, is now the vice president and continuing editor-in-chief of Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine. Dan, if somebody wants to reach out and, and get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? Deeranddeerhunting.com. Spell it out, deeranddeerhunting.com. Check us out on Facebook. Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, you find you uh, Instagram, uh, whatever you've got on your phone, you can find us there. Deer and deer hunting. Thank you, Bruce, very much. Mm -hmm.